Welcome back to the Money Clip Podcast. This is episode 45. Your hosts, Raymond Brown and David Evans. How's it going, David? Hey, what's up, Brace? Going well? A little weekend gym for the listeners, man. Happy to be here. Excellent. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about when should startups reach out to venture capitalists? Yeah, and this is pretty interesting um, because obviously it's I'm, I'm a novice in this lane, but it's kind of your area of expertise. So you're, we're going to kind of lean on you today for this episode a little bit. So before we even get into the real content, uh, if, if you could explain to me and our listeners uh, what what a venture capital firm is and what is defined as a startup. Is it anyone who just has an idea or their kind of steps you need to take from taking an idea to an actual company or or from, from your experience? Like, how does one get that moniker of being a startup? Yeah, sure. So great question. So just to make it really simple, venture capitalists are generally, uh, most of the time, high net worth individuals okay. who uh, have a structure kind of set up like you'll have a few general partners and then a few limited partners. Now, generally, the general, general partners are going to be in charge. Um, they usually only put maybe 1% to 3% of their, their funds up front. And then okay. you have the limited partners who generally put up most of the funds uh, for that particular round of funding. Uh, but their main focus is to supply funding to businesses that they believe have the possibility, like startups, to become mm-hmm. the, next, the next biggest thing. And depending on uh, what round of funding, they might raise more money to help that particular business go to the next level. So, for example, certain venture capitalists, uh, depending on which type of firm you're talking about, uh, they have certain sectors in which they're interested in. It could be artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, or e-commerce, <clears throat> or both, excuse me. So uh, what startups usually like to do, um, and what I'm going to get into for the detail on the podcast, is mm-hmm. they like to reach out to venture capitalists to kind of get their, their, their wheels turning early on or to kind of get past that hump to try to increase their growth potential for uh, whatever sector that they're working in. Um, and your startup is going to be defined as a business that is just starting out you know, has very few customers, um, probably has a minimum viable product, meaning like a beta platform um, of some sort, and uh, it probably doesn't have that much money in the bank just yet. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. I'm following that. Now, for something to be a startup, sorry, I just, I just want to follow this as well before we kind of deep dive. For something to be deemed a startup, in your est- estimation, are are there are there levels to to startups? Meaning, like, uh, so like the, the one man kind of band entrepreneur type versus you know uh, something like a behemoth like Facebook early on. Like, when does something become the startup? Is it just as soon as you kind of put put the legality behind it? And then, at what round of venture capitalism? or venture capitalists being involved in a startup, does the startup stop being a startup? You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So there, there's different types of venture, uh, venture capitalist firms, and these firms, uh, depending on what their focus is, they can either invest in the seed or pre-seed stage all the way up to a Series G, 
um, or even a Series B round, or which would be called uh, another term is a growth round. Um, and even if a business is three to four years in, they still kind of consider it a startup. Uh, I've seen some businesses even be referred to as a startup, even though it's been around for five or six years. Uh, a lot of times, what you'll see is once the company has been around for maybe 10 years or is in the, uh, the process of trying to go public, they might not be referred to as a startup. But when you think of a startup, it's going to be a company that's relatively new okay. um, that, that might not have as many sales um, as the, the big companies will. Um, or, you know, it's, it's a one man band. He's just starting to get his, uh, his high, uh, level or high position individuals ready for his team. Like the C, uh, like the CFO, other co-founders, um, even, even a board or advisory board, uh, to join his team or to join his business. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. I'm following now. And I hope that was as helpful to the listeners as it was to me, you know, so now let's get into kind of okay so you're on a venture capitalist kind of radar okay so what are the the first thing i would ask is like so what are you looking for uh if you're the startup what should you know about your company like is it uh knowing that your product or your service is proven like are are you looking for a market niche or are you saying that uh, the funding from uh, the venture capitalists will be what can make your product or servant service uh, a kind of a proven commodity. Right. And this is, that's a very good question. Uh, so there's a lot of things you, you must consider, uh, especially from just coming out and getting involved in being a business or a startup and wanting to get funding. <clears throat> you have to really figure out, you know, is your product or service proven? And the only way to do that is to figure out if you have product market fit. In order to find if you have product market fit, you have to have a product or service that the community or the market wants. Mm -hmm. And how do you base it? You base it off of metrics. Now, depending on the metrics will be depending on whether you're offering a product or you're offering a service. Okay. So if you're offering, if you're offering a product, you are most likely selling that product at a particular price. And there's a lot of things, a lot of different numbers you want to consider when you're kind of creating that price. Is is whatever price you're selling it at? Does the does the market feel comfortable paying that particular price? And at the price that you're selling it for, are you really making any money? <laughs> and what I mean, Mark, are you really making any money? <laughs> is what what are your margins? Are you creating something that costs you seven dollars and you're selling it for eight, or are you creating something that costs you two dollars and fifty cents and you're selling it for nine? Right. Okay. And and then from that point of view, okay you're able to sell it at nine and you have a profit margin of maybe 66% or so. Now, how, how much of that product are you actually selling at that price? And then from there, you can decide, okay, well, I know if I sell it at $9 and the margin is 66%, maybe I need to reduce the price to maybe bring my margins down to 44%. And as I get more recognition in the marketplace, I can continue to increase the price, which will match the value proposition for the customer, right? And then we're going to move over to uh, software as a service. You can identify that as, well, we can't really say it's going to be users, right? But if you know that you have a lot of users, that means that people are attracted to your software as a service. Now it's up to you and how you describe your business model for you to understand whether or not you have product market fit 
and that's going to be based off either advertisements uh, and then the more customer, the more users you have will kind of be generated as customers because the more they use a platform, the more ads are shown, right? Or you can say, uh, we're going to use a dating site or a dating application. And through this dating application, we're going to charge users uh, $30 or $20 a month to use this particular service. And the same thing, you have to also identify, does the market feel like what I'm offering deserves to be at this price? And if it does, what are my margins? And if the margins are, are what I'm looking for and are not breaking the bank, then maybe I can reinvest uh, those, those earnings um, or, the, or that revenue and, uh, and back into the business or the application to improve my technology or to improve my marketing strategy. Um, and so those are the kind of things uh, that you have to look for prior to even talking to a venture capitalist will be my recommendation. Okay. Okay. Now, something else that I'm curious about. Uh, venture capitalists, they're not running charities, right? They're, 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 they're <laughs> here to make money as well. So with that, how does the company ownership structure affect uh, the possibility of funding? Or is that something that once you bring in uh, a venture capital firm or just an individual venture capitalist, uh, are they always looking for ownership stakes? Is it a return on investment? Uh, what is it that they're looking for that this is such a thriving industry, right? This is the best investors in the world usually are found in the private equity space as far as uh, ROI, return on investment. So what is it that creates the uh, interest, if you will, from a venture capital firm to put up its own money in an idea? Are they looking for ownership, partnership, um, return on investment, royalties? What is it exactly? Right. So definitely a partnership. Uh, if you look at statistical data uh, the last few years, it's been proven that um, venture capitalists and startups usually or businesses usually have a longer relationships than U.S. marriages. Wow. Um, so <laughs> so, yes, it is. It's definitely um, a partnership. And depending on, you know, what what venture capital firm you use um, or receive funding from, you're going to, you know, it's just like anything else. You know, you have your great teams, then you have, you know, your excellent teams and you have someone that's kind of in the middle or teams are not that good. Right. right. So you want to pick a venture capital firm that, you know, gives you that sweet spot or gives you something uh, besides funds or um, or additional resources that can really help propel your business to the next level. And with a lot of these venture capitalist firms, you know, they they're giving you this they're they're investing in you uh, because they are respecting return on investment. And you have to be mindful of that, uh, especially depending on what stage that you're going to be receiving venture capitalist funds, if you are able to do that. Because there's a lot of structuring uh, and moving around with ownership and depending on securities that will be offered. And you have to understand that venture capitalists, because they have so much money, they're going to kind of want to dictate the terms. And what I mean by terms, terms in which the agreement you all are setting for the securities that will be offered. Uh, basically saying, for example, hypothetically speaking, oh, we want to uh, invest, but we're only willing to invest at a $4 million valuation, even though you think your business is worth a $6 million valuation. And also, we want pro rata, 
meaning that we want to guarantee that we can get in uh, in future rounds or the next round of your uh, potential financing. And also we want uh, to have X percentage of the business based on X amount of dollars. Um, and you as the CEO or you know, co-founder of the business or organization have to see is this particular stage uh, of, of growth um, or maturity of my business, is it really in the position to take VC money right now? Right. Um, because once you start doing that, there's a potential um, for the VC or the venture capital firm to really kind of uh, use you, not I want to say use you, but kind of move the business in a direction that they think is best for them and their RRI, which in return might not be better for the overarching picture of your business. Okay, that makes sense. So it, just because a uh, venture capital firm is in, uh, interested in you or uh, whatever startup does not necessarily mean that it, it kind of sounds like you're saying all money isn't good money to, to some extent. So there, there could be instances where uh, the breakdown of what they want for the capital isn't necessarily in the best interest long term for the for the startup is that is that correct yes that's that's exactly what i'm saying you know because especially when you're a startup you know the more you can kind of bootstrap and i mean bootstrap means you and your co-founders and the founding members of the team you all put your money together maybe money saved previously at another job or another startup you all put it together and start really doing some, you know, sweat equity, you know, really putting into your own business with your own funds to really, you know, create that proven model without getting money from outside investors or maybe even raise money through uh, friends and family. Uh, because once you are on a trajectory to, you know, uh, proving that your business has product market fit, you're not going to be uh, as hungry for VC money. And that's a good thing. You want to raise as little money as possible, right? While still being able to grow. The only reason you should be looking for venture capital money is you, if you're on your last dollar uh, and you really think that if you get this venture capital money, that it can really get you to the next level in your business. So if you think our business is going great, only if we had an extra couple, 300,000 or $400,000, this might make this might give me the ability to take my business worldwide, and then from there, of course, you have to reevaluate the situation, uh, talk with all your investors to see if that's actually the best thing for okay. your business. Okay, that makes sense. And last but uh, not least, I would say, what does uh, bringing on a venture capital firm or individual venture capitalists um, sounds like? They're one and the same, but you can't just be a high net worth individual and be a venture capitalist. So I just want to make that distinction. What uh, concerns would you would you have if you were investing in a startup and uh, some massive fund? You know, I'm going to name drop like Sequoia comes in. Um, does that affect the flexibility of the startup? Um, you know, I think so. For one, if I'm able to get in before Sequoia, I would be extremely happy because um, if I invest in the business most likely I've probably got in at a lower rate or a lower valuation. And if a big heavy hitter like Sequoia, who's invested in, 
you know, very high profile businesses or companies that had went public, you know, most recently uh, Snowflake, then I'm going to be pretty, pretty yeah. happy about that. And I've known there's been a very, there's been a real significant correlation between uh, Sequoia and, uh, and technology startups and success. Um, so if, if I knew Sequoia got in in a business that I've invested in early on, then I'm feeling extremely happy and extremely confident. And I haven't seen or heard of stories dealing with Sequoia that um, played negatively um, for uh, startups. Um, from my research, not to say it hasn't happened, but typically if a VC is getting in a particular business, that could be a good thing. Um, That means that that business will have more money to grow their business. Um, So it's really self-dependent. It's really dependent on uh, the team, the foundation, how many rounds of funding they had and what VC firm is investing. Um, So all, all those different components are, are going to be uh, relative to, you know, whether that business succeeds or fails um, or not. But to answer your question, if I invested in a company and Sequoia got in, I know that they're securing, uh, you know, great leadership to help join their team uh, and make sure that the money that Sequoia is get or, or loaning or uh, lending to the business is going to be uh, returned, you know, a hundredfold. Gotcha. Okay. So, Depending on when, some, so you, you may not necessarily want to follow Sequoia in because you, you might be a little too late to the party and could get diluted as a smaller investor. But if Sequoia comes into a startup that you're already invested in, that's almost uh, a net positive because it's, it says that you're seeing something that overall market trend is also seeing in value in a company. Am I hearing that correctly? <clears throat> yeah, so whenever a VC uh, a VC comes in, you know they're coming with millions and millions of dollars. So whether they come in uh, before, if they come in before, then obviously the valuation is going to get pumped up, uh, and you your dollar might not go as far. Um, but if you get in earlier, um, of course there's going to be a sense of dilution because they're coming with millions, right. millions of dollars. But what you know is you know you're on the right track uh, to success. Um, or a higher percentage chance of success if you got in before they did, which will mean that that particular business might get acquired or be able to go IPO. And that's what all early stage okay. investors want. Makes sense. Okay. So it's, it's, it's similar to any other investing. Timing is still important. However, there are, there are other yes. factors when it comes to this that you kind of went over that can uh, enhance or diminish um, what it means for uh venture capitalists and venture capital firms to come on board to early stage startups. Yes, you got it, David. Um, And, you know, I was really glad that we were able to come together again today and I can talk about something I'm really, really passionate about, uh, you know, when that's startups and VCs and being an angel investor, you know, having almost over 60 angel investments so far, I plan to reach a hundred, hopefully within the next two years or so. That's that's amazing. Um, yeah, and you know, at least by that time, three, maybe four to five years have passed, and then I'll probably only have maybe four more, three more years, and I'll have a couple more exits, ex- exit, excuse me, um, and then I can start really um, getting into that that role of uh, being a VC, or hopefully, you know, who knows, it might get picked up. <laughs> <on that>. uh, 
<laughs> so uh, thank you, you know, uh, listeners, once again, for coming to uh, the Money Clip podcast. Me and David Evans really do appreciate it. You know, if you have any additional questions, please feel free to reach out to our Money Clip, um, Money Clip podcast at gmail.com, our Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, OnStrat. You know, if you really want to figure out how to day trade, um, that's a great resource, you know, great information. So if you want to check that out and just get some extra knowledge uh, while we're not doing the podcast or whenever we restart the podcast, and you're more than welcome. Thank you, David. Absolutely. I really Thank you. It. Keep pushing that dollar forward.